Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast presented by Nenny and Associates. I'm your host, Jim Schaefer. Now, if this is your first time tuning in, Nenny and Associates is an executive search firm focused on the building efficiency industry, hence why we named the podcast the way that we did. And simply put, we help our clients find the right talent. Each week, we sit down with leaders from the industry to discuss their backgrounds, how they got started, and where they see the industry heading. We also get to know our guests and find out what drives them to be successful. And on today's episode, episode 40, we sit down with Lee Kirby, who is the co-founder and chairman of Salute Mission Critical. I got to say, this episode is, is really a first of its kind, speaking with a retired Army colonel, or as Lee put it, uh, colonel by accident, which really was his uh, humble nature shining through on that comment there. A really impressive military career as well as career here in the private sector. But Lee walks us through his time in the military and really how that success laid the foundation for starting Salute Mission Critical and the reasons why hiring military veterans has proven to be such a successful business model for them. And as usual, the golden dust of our episodes are typically found towards the end. And on today's episode, uh, this was no exception, as Lee describes what he wants his lasting legacy to be. Really powerful message there. Now, if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe to our channel and consider hitting that download button and uh, downloading future episodes as well. This is really the only way that we can track how many people are listening. So if you're one of those people who are streaming the episodes, I urge you to consider hitting that download button instead. And if, if you did enjoy this episode, please share it and leave a five-star review. Now, we think you're really going to enjoy this conversation between Lee and I. So let's drop in. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast. Today we're sitting down with Lee Kirby, who is a chairman and co-founder with Salute Mission Critical. Lee, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jim. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad we uh, I'm glad we made this happen. And uh, I know we're going to get into um, who Salute Mission Critical is. I'm sure a lot of people are in our audience may not recognize the name, but we had a mutual contact and connection that put us in touch. I'm really glad we did. I'm excited to find out about your background and, and how you guys are going to market today. So let's start there. Can you walk our audience through your background and then how you started the company? Sounds great. So almost like a Star Wars trilogy, many, many years ago, in 1976, <laughs> I joined the military and i had had a great childhood growing up in rural Appalachia and was kind of a naive farm boy. And it was a great awakening for me to learn how to operate outside of my environment, to grow and mature very quickly. Having joined at 17, I had some advantages. I was seriously fit from working on the farm all day, so didn't have any problem with the fitness level. And I also was not shaven, so I didn't have to spend time doing that with all my other colleagues were having to shave before formation. So that gave me an advantage. <laughs> from 76, I got out of the active duty uh, four years later and went into the reserves. And I, I joined the military to get my college degree. And got that after I got out and then got a job with a training program for programmers. And at the time, it was new technology. I was being taught how to do assembler language programming and then eventually COBOL. And I loved it. Uh, everything about technology intrigued me because not just it was the new wave, but just it was so unknown. And I could very quickly master it for some reason and be able to move up through the ranks and was able to do that. And that started kind of a dual career path for me. I was a reservist after being on active duty, and then had my civilian path. It wasn't, an, I got my commission in 82, and it wasn't until mid-90s when we invaded Haiti that I actually got called back to active duty. 
did that deployment, came back in line, and the military shifted the reserves to be more of an operational force than a strategic force. And we started deploying quite a bit, Somalia, Bosnia, Kosovo. It wasn't until 9-11 that the pace really picked up. And after that, I did another six years active duty and ultimately retired in 2012. That brought me to a conclusion in 2012 that was kind of the culmination of I'd been reserved, I'd been guard, I'd been active duty, I'd transitioned back and forth. So I knew the hardships everybody was going through. And I also knew what people got from training point of view and wanted to continue to serve. It was my time to retire. I'd reached colonel by accident and had started out as a lowly E1. So I was happy with that, but I still wanted to serve. The weird thing to me was at that time, we had just finished the surge. We had finished uh, a really bad recession and unemployment for first termers was in excess of 20%, which was three times what the national average was. And that made no sense. They were considered unskilled. And with my experience in the data center industry, um, me and a colleague, Jason Oakroy, got together and started trying to figure out what we could do to help. And uh, we lucked out because you've got this resource pool of, at the time, 250,000 people a year coming off of active duty. People were focused on about 10 to 20% of them because those were those with skills that could walk across, but the rest were being ignored. They were being hired by other industries, but not our industry because there were training programs there. So we came up with the idea, let's get a training program together that can get them both training and experience and build this company based on taking veterans, turning them into data center technicians. And eight years later, we've proven the value of the veteran resource pool and have over 400 people full-time in 10 countries and continuing to grow. We've put probably a couple thousand through at this point that have moved on into the industry from our company. And some of them have stayed with us the entire time. So it's been a great mix of kind of bringing all these worlds together and giving that bridge to the military so that if they want a career in this industry, no matter if they were a cook, an infantryman, or a Navy nuke, they can find a career in this industry through Salute. Oh, that's that's excellent. I certainly want to uh, want to get into Salute a little bit further, but I want to take a step back into your military experience. You mentioned Colonel by Accident. Is that the name of a future book? That sounds like you could, you could, you could title a book. Yeah, I started out enlisted because I wanted my degree and got my degree and then got my commission in 82 and just loved serving and continued on, did my professional development and moved up through the ranks. And as an enlisted person, I figured when I got my commission, I'd probably retire as a major and just it, one thing led to another and made it up through the more senior ranks and was happy to have served and got on out then. But the great thing was, as a colonel, I had opted out of trying to go the general officer track. So I made colonel early and was a colonel for a very long time at the end of my career, which gives you a lot of latitude to have change and make change inside a big superstructure like that. Yeah, that's that's impressive. I'm uh, I'm reading a book right now called uh, Team of Teams by uh, General Stanley McChrystal. Have you read that one? He, he's a great hero. I, I love reading his stuff and Petraeus and Odierno. All, all those guys are outstanding heroes in my book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well impressive career. I, I guess, first off, when people say thanks for your service, how do you respond to that? Because I, I want to recognize like, and acknowledge the service that you gave to our country. But I've always heard that saying is, is kind of falls flat for veterans. 
it, it doesn't fall flat. It's just an odd thing because I yeah. feel like saying thank you for letting me serve because I wanted yeah. to serve. I volunteered. We're an all volunteer military right. and I felt it a great honor. So uh, we we could sit there and thank each other for our service. Like, thank you for letting me serve. <laughs> there, well, there, there you go. Yeah, I think that's probably the best explanation I've, I've heard. I've heard um, other military veterans, you know, frame it like remember those who have, have fallen. Right. You know, there's, there's remember the people that have, have made the, the ultimate sacrifice. So um, no, th- thank you. And, and, and maybe that that's a good transition point to to your business model. So, so what about the military veteran profile and personalities fits so well into what you guys do? There, there's so many things that people don't realize when they look at a veteran is they'll they'll think of the veteran as what they did. So if you say I was in the infantry, they'll think of William Defoe and platoon and that's all they'll see or I'm a cook or a whatnot. And they'll push them down paths that are really limiting. Uh, if you say infantry and you follow that MOS uh, translation path, you'll end up as a security guard. If you say cook, you'll end up in food services. But no one realizes the infantryman maintains his equipment, his communication gear, weapon systems, uses a checklist to do that. And that sounds like a data center technician. A cook feeds hundreds of people three times a day in all kinds of crazy environments, has to plan all the ingredients, the production of it, the cleanliness of it, and not poisoning the troops. That's a great project manager in the making. And if people will look beyond the specialty that they served in and see all of the supporting skills they pick up, they'll find that there's a wealth of uh, of skills that apply to civilian life that cannot be boiled down to a simple spreadsheet that says, if you're this MOS, you should go down this track. There's also the what people call soft skills, but I think they're the most solid foundation you can get because you don't get them anywhere else is the critical thinking, the problem solving, the leadership. Imagine a 28-year-old veteran that has come off of active duty. They were leading a squad through the streets of Bakuba or anywhere. Uh, one street, they're fighting bad guys. Another, they're bringing a water system online. They're negotiating with uh, leaders, both tribal leaders and elected leaders. They've dealt in the most complex, austere, hostile environment you can do. They can deal with any environment you throw at them in a data center. But what they get from that is understanding where they fit in the strategic scheme understanding how to operate and when to communicate up for help or for clarification or to let something be known to people that are are not there that they need to know. And that's the exact type of skill set that I want in any data center I would ever own. And I, I think that people are seeing that. And that's why you see so um, such a success with Salute is we've brought that magic formula together and people are realizing it goes way beyond the specialty and that there are so many great skills that you can tap into. And if you just look at it in a cold business sense, you're leveraging an investment of thousands of dollars by hiring a veteran. All you have to do is add a little bit more training to have them do the job you want them to do. Yeah, 100%. And you're looking at it from the perspective of like what your clients are going to get with the data center technicians. But I would imagine on, on just like on the employee side, you're getting somebody with those soft skills that you alluded to, like somebody who's disciplined, somebody who's going to show up on time, somebody who's going to be a team player, somebody who's going to serve the mission of the business with the thought, hey, what's best for the company? What's best for the business versus what's in it for me? And I think a lot of employers have hired way too many people. Every every business leader listening to this right now has hired plenty of knuckleheads that have just thought about themselves. But I would imagine this candidate pool that you're sourcing from is a way of just like self-selecting the right people who are gonna have those soft skills. Exactly, and it's been ingrained into them. Success is not an individual thing, it's a team thing. The team succeeds or fails together and having a mindset that brings that together 
you get so much more out of your employee workforce. Yeah, it's just naturally baked into your culture. Seems like, yeah. And as, as a recruiter, you know, I can't help but think in these ways, right, from, from like a vetting selection process. So it, it's pretty neat that you guys have that. So outside of the, the data center technicians, I guess from a strategy standpoint, right, someone from your like yourself or somebody who really understands the high level and, and tactics and overall strategy of the business, have you guys seen that skill set transfer over into maybe some of the higher level ranks of your organization as well? Yeah, there, it, I think it depends on what a veteran wants to do. If a veteran comes off that wants to work with their hands, we're a perfect complement for them. But if they want to be a cyber coder or a software developer or a networking technician, there's other paths into the industry. And that's what I love about this industry. It's so diverse. I started out as a mainframe programmer. I ended up as a project manager, then got into networking and client server environments, then finally got into infrastructure So no matter which door you go in, there's all kinds of cross-training opportunities and paths. But we tried to solve a problem that we knew we could handle because we bootstrapped the company. We came from the infrastructure side. We could get the training programs together. We could get the service delivery processes in place. So we did what we could do. But there's other people out there, and some of the larger companies have made conscious decisions, the Microsofts and Googles and them, that here's the resource type we need. Let's train for that. Let's bring the candidates in, run them through the boot camp, see who can make the grade and get them into the program to start their career out too. So there's a lot of different doors that veterans can take. They just have to reach out to it. And because we're an invisible industry, uh, a lot of the work I'm doing now is trying to make veterans just aware that we exist. Of the probably 2,000 or more people that have come through Salute, I bet you 10 of them knew about data centers. I didn't start out my career thinking I'm going to be in the data center business, and I don't think anybody did. But the uh, data center business, the digital infrastructure, whatever you want to call it, has grown up like the Morton here's a who. We're the underpinnings of the entire digital economy, and we're invisible. So we need to raise awareness so that the veterans that would be attracted to us can come to us rather than industries that are known. That's, that's excellent. I wanted to, to zoom out here for a second. So I'm really glad we made this this connection, and I'm, I'm really intrigued by this conversation we're having. And I wanted to make the connection between what you guys are doing with your data center clients, and then also kind of the theme of our show. Right, uh, a lot of the clients that we work with, a lot of the um, the folks that have come on the show have this this facility services building efficiency orientation to their uh, to their business models. So when you guys are working with some of these data centers. Where does the energy efficiency or building efficiency play come into, you know, with these clients that you work with? It's a daily thing. And I think that the biggest thing in data centers from ongoing sustainable efficiency is that discipline and rigor to follow the processes that have been put in place and to do good craftsmanship. If if you have a deployment into a data center and you've you've taken that data center to a point, you've built it and you've put all of your uh, workflow containment systems in place. That's not a static environment. You could have the most optimally energized system in place, all the airflow is going exactly how you want, and you deploy one server and leave a bunch of blanking panels off and have the air going where it wasn't supposed to go and you lose efficiency. So every day having a disciplined workforce in your data center, you're going to maintain the efficiency that you designed and built into it. And then as you deploy new technology and more technology and refreshes, having that disciplined workforce to do those deployments and make sure that it's buttoned up and hitting the standard that you need to maintain optimal efficiency. 
that's where we fit in. And we don't always get the, um, the visibility for the efficiency because it's all part of the daily routine, doing the rounds and reads, making sure everything's operating with intolerances, but also making sure that all people that work on that site maintain the standards that will build into that efficient scheme. So uh, we're a part of that. We're just the hands and legs of it. We're not the engineers that design it, but right. we can make sure it's maintained. No, it makes makes sense. Makes sense. So for this um, for this next question here, you can look at it through a couple of different lenses, but uh, just big picture, right? You're you're a strategy guy. If you look out the next five, 10, 15 years, where do you see the industry heading, and where do you see Salute Mission Critical's role in that direction? I, what's exciting is the growth is not stopping. It's not slowing down. We're seeing some industries just decimated because of COVID, but yeah. the data center industry is growing even faster. And mm. if we're going to double every two, three, four, five years, I think it's four or five years, uh, we're going to need more personnel uh, to maintain the data centers, to staff the data centers. What we find is that there's the combination of technology and people, and you need to achieve that right balance. And part of our success has been we can staff a data center with less people because of our training program, which puts less people in risk of COVID spread, but also puts less people on site, and less cost on site. And you, you get some great trade-offs on, on that. And from a business point of view, it makes sense. But now the factor is changing. We're going away from the 100,000 and million square foot data centers, and we're going to the edge. Uh, the big regional hubs will continue to grow and proliferate but the edge is going to proliferate like crazy, but the edge data centers are not going to have people on site. So you're going to have a different workforce, one that's got to be behind the windshield going site to site. Mm. We've got our global command center that we've implemented and are starting to provide those services to clients that are early on in the stages of deploying the edge computing devices and can go out and maintain those on a periodic basis or on a call out basis. And I I think people are going to see a lot of change in that environment, both with edge computing going out, but with greater automation and tools as well. We're seeing a lot more saves in the data center environment. You know, 10 years ago, there were a lot of outages because of kind of silly things that we weren't catching in the monitoring. But now with the tools in place, we can catch them and we have more saves and we do outages. The outages are more impactful because the infrastructure is more complex, but that all goes hand in hand with the growth. So between the edge environment changing the model as far as delivery services goes and even greater tools for automation. Uh, we're set up to be the, the guys that you can rely on to be able to do that, whether it's in a dispersed environment or a centralized environment. You mentioned the Global Command Center, and I was just looking at um, your company's website before this. I saw that you guys are doing work in, in many different, three different continents, correct? Yeah, we're uh, in Europe, South America, and the uh, North America. We've got 10 countries that we've deployed to, and we've worked in about 130 countries. When we say we're in 10 countries, that's where we have staff full-time on data center sites. But we do deployment projects all over the world, and that global command center is instrumental in both the delivery of services on a project basis, but on an ongoing contract basis, doing everything from pulse checks to coordinating movement around the world. And COVID made it even more interesting trying to get across international borders, but with yeah. the military mindset of understanding how to deal with governments, how to get the approval, how to plan out the travel and get through those hurdles, the team has done just a fantastic job. And sticking with the same theme of growth, are there any specific countries that you guys see as emerging markets that you're really seeing could grow in the next five or 10 years? 
What's awesome about this industry is every country's uh, going to continue to grow, but some that haven't had as big a demand are going to come online. And we're seeing a lot of movement in Africa. Asia is still uh, just the population base there is so enormous. We know that there's going to be more growth there. All across Europe, we're seeing growth, but all across the U.S., uh, this industry more than any other industry I know is just continuing at a sustainable rate to grow. It's getting the capital dollars in there, but it's needed because you look at the workforce changes of people working remotely. We've already adopted the applications where we're doing our e-commerce. I, I think we are becoming the digital economy with this infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've I've really enjoyed this conversation. This has been a this has been a real treat. But just for the sake of time, I wanted to transition to the last part of the show here. And, and ask you the last four questions that I ask to every guest who comes on and wanted to start off and ask you, what are your daily non-negotiables? One, hey, it's going to sound silly, but our culture, we cannot change. We take you when you hire into Salute and we teach you our values. We make sure in the selection process that you share those, but we make sure that you know that there is nothing like bad news gets worse with time. If something goes wrong, immediately escalate it. Be totally transparent with us. Be totally transparent with the client because then we can deal with it. So we every day wake up and make sure that we're passionate about serving the client and that if there is a mistake, that gets fed up because once it's fed up, we can resolve it and address it and learn from it and not have it repeat. So that's what we drive on every day is client satisfaction, that whole experience. See, as a retired military officer, I thought you were going to say something uh, that was ingrained d- into you from a discipline standpoint over the last 35 years, like uh, waking up at 430 or getting in a workout or something like that. <laughs> Disappoint. Sorry. No, 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 no. All right. So what, what advice? Let's rewind the clock to 22 year old Lee. What advice would you give to yourself then? I'd probably tell him. Don't worry. Uh, No matter what you plan, life's going to change that. (laughs) And it's all going to be okay as long as you stick to your core values, you drive on. I'd also tell him that, you know, I spent so many years deployed. And when you're deploying, you spend time getting ready to deploy. So I probably had 10 years altogether away from the family. And I tell him that when you're in that period of time, make sure that when you are home, you're his home as much as you can be. That some of those things can wait that you're trying to do that are just admin and function. But fortunately, my family has stuck with me and put up with it. But that was a lot of separation time for us. And I would just tell him that you'll get through it, but make sure you capitalize on that time when you're not downrange. And what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? I love the change that we're making in the industry and the change that we're bringing to veterans and military spouses and their families. I, I love everything we're doing at Salute. So I get up, We've because we're global, it doesn't matter what time it is in my time zone, it's what time is it in the time zone we're talking to. So uh, whether it's two in the morning or two in the afternoon, if I can get up and help anything change where we get one more opportunity to get a veteran into a job, that excites me. The last question here, what do you want your lasting legacy to be? Probably, I'd like it to say something about best husband and dad in the world. And then after that, if they want to talk about my work, just was it an agent of change, wanted to change things that impacted not just the industry, but had that triple bottom line effect that you hear, change lives, make things better for everybody. Because with Salute, we're a successful commercial concern now. 
But you look beyond that and see the thousands of lives that have been affected by it. And we've got a legacy that's going to live on no matter how long Salute is in business. And I love that. And all the people that you can help rise along the way, the servant leader concept, you'll read about that with General McChrystal and all of the great heroes in the books that they've written about are all servant leaders. What can they do for the whole team, for the nation, for the world? And that that's really where I'd like to leave a legacy is setting an example that others can follow. Well, I think that's a perfect way to, to wrap up the show here. So Lee, thanks for coming on. Thanks for your time. Thanks. It was great. See you. All right. All right, there you have it, episode 40 with Lee Kirby. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did enjoy it, please be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you enjoy listening to your favorite podcast. Now, we hope you're sharing this with your friends and colleagues as well. And one last thing, if you have any future guests in mind from the industry, please reach out to me. We'd love to hear from you loyal listeners. So until next time, I'm Jim Schaefer, and we'll catch you on the next episode.